0: Hey, everyone, before we get into the show, if you're thinking about listing your home, I know exactly who you need to connect with Nick and Josh from Victory Home Team. They will guide you through the listing process with a hands on approach where they walk through every single listing and add their personal touch. They're not going to put you through some robotic cookie cutter process. Selling your home is too important for that. Josh and Nick, who are two of the biggest Purple and Gold football fans I know, use innovative marketing strategies to increase visibility and make sure your house gets seen by potential buyers. And when the time comes, they can close the deal with their proven negotiation strategies. Just ask Purple Insider producer Jeremy Rushing, who worked with Victory Home Team. Hi, this is Jeremy, producer at Purple Insider, and my fiancé and I actually used Nick and Victory Home Team to purchase our forever home just this past winter, and we can't recommend them enough. We were selling and buying in this scenario, and the process was so smooth, we actually had four showings and two offers on our townhome just in its first day on the market. So if you're looking to buy a new home, looking to sell yours, maybe just like us, you're doing both in the same process, that can be so stressful, but Victory Home Team takes that stress off your shoulders and just makes the whole situation incredibly easy to handle let my football loving friends victory home team list your house today visit victoryhometeam.com to check out how great their listings look and their seller's guide that's victory home team number one in real estate in the twin cities and if you mentioned you heard about them on this show they will give you a special purple and gold discount all right let's get into the show Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft.
1: Draft season is here.
0: Come on, come on.
1: To break down every need they're not gonna pick a quarterback they need offensive lineman they need defense every pro day he had a phenomenal pro day explosive really good in the three cone the broad jump and every mock you could probably tell me if you think the vikings would actually do it i can tell you as a draft analyst that they absolutely should welcome to the chris trapasso draft show on purple insider this is a good podcast to listen to leading into the draft
0: Hello, welcome to another Chris Trapasso Draft Show. Matthew Collar, your host here on Purple Insider as always. And from CBS Sports Draft Analyst Chris Trapasso, I think this is our last official Chris Trapasso Draft Show. It will not be the last time we get together for sure, But we wanted to go a couple of weeks past the draft, Chris, to analyze it all. So how are you, sir? Are you taking in all of the little clips from rookie minicamps that show these rookie quarterbacks slinging it around? Yeah,
1: definitely. I was just telling you before we started recording how much I think everyone has a huge hunger to see actual football. And I'm in that group. I try not to take too much from rookie minicamp, but just signing on to Twitter over the weekend and seeing actual NFL helmets with even throws against air was actually a delight after the draft because we're in this kind of like hangover period after the draft. You're like, oh, what do we talk about now? So the fact that we have some rookie minicamps to discuss uh, is better than nothing. And we're going to hit a dry period for about a month and a half before training camp. Um, So it, it was nice seeing these rookies on the field in their new uniforms for sure.
0: And last year we did not have the benefit of doing that. So it feels, it does feel very nice of saying like, Oh, okay. All right. There's Kellen Mond in a Vikings Jersey. That's kind of cool for fans to see him out there and see tweets of him throwing a couple of footballs and such. And now for me, I only saw seven on sevens for, I don't know, a dozen reps. So I can't sit here and say, wow, Christian Derrissaw looks like, a giant guy who's drafted high or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, even watching receivers running routes in shorts and things like that, there have been past years where Mike Zimmer has talked about how this guy or that guy looked great in rookie mini camp and it meant absolutely nothing. So usually we have to wait until mini camp, which is usually in the middle of June. And then that gives us a bit of an idea of where everyone stands to start training camp And in training camp, that's when we can really tell you on a day-to-day basis. Um, But I've I've got some fun things to ask you, Chris, about sort of best bets and reasonable expectations for this year's draft class. But I got two very good questions emailed to me that I wanted to get your opinion on from a loyal listener, Aaron. Um, I'll just start with the first one. He said he's heard differing opinions on whether Kellen Mond has a strong arm. He says, uh, recall someone on this podcast calling it a bazooka arm, but also Eric Eager the other day suggested that he's not very good at throwing deep and doesn't have a great arm. So he wants uh, some clarity on that, which I think is fair. So your take on arm talent from Kellen Mond.
1: I don't think he has that strong of an arm. I think it is probably NFL average at, at times. It can, he can crank it up a little bit at the intermediate level, but I don't think in terms of accuracy or just the ability to stretch the field. I watched Kellen Mond's film and thought this guy's going to be an amazing deep ball thrower in the NFL. And we know from Kirk cousins, you don't have to have a huge arm to be a good passer, 20 plus yards down the field. Looking at my scouting notebook this year, Kellen Mond was tied with Kyle Trask from the uh, Florida Gators who got drafted by the Buccaneers and just ahead of Mac Jones in terms of the quarterback prospects that I scouted with the weakest arms. So that, it to you, it's kind of important. I think that you've said, like, that's a big qualifier for you. Like, if a quarterback doesn't have the arm, then that's almost disqualifies him. But I didn't think that any of those three quarterbacks had arms that would have severely limit them at the NFL level. The difference, and it's good that you said arm talent, with Kellen Mond, I, I think his arm talent... Which is, to me, the ability to throw on the run, off platform, when things are are muddy inside the pocket. I don't think that is... It's probably not even NFL average. But when he is inside the pocket from a steady base, I think that's when he can let it rip and fit it through a tight window on a 15-yard dig route. Where maybe someone that believes Kellen Mann has a bazooka was referencing watching uh, a throw from a clean pocket. So, fortunately in this Vikings offense that is pretty quarterback friendly and he will have clean pockets. I like the the way that the Vikings have built up this offensive line, maybe for Kellen Mond to take over at at some point in 2022 or if Kirk Cousins is really bad this year uh, that he will have a lot of those instances where he can show the higher end part of his arm strength, Uh, but arm talent like Matt Stafford kind of stuff, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, that's not, he's not that type of quarterback that can make those difficult, longer throws that need velocity when things aren't perfect with his lower half.
0: So here's why I love this question, because I think that there's a lot of different layers to what makes for a great arm. So for example, at the combine, Kirk Cousins threw the ball harder velocity wise than Deshaun Watson and a bunch of other quarterbacks because he could stand in one spot and he could ramp it all up. Think about this way for like, um, a shortstop or a catcher. If you're a shortstop or a catcher, you often have to make these throws on the move, right? But if you're an outfielder, you can catch the ball, you can crow hop and you can let it loose. And of course, an outfielder who's able to do that is going to be able to get everything in line and make the perfect throw. But when Kirk cousins has to drift back or, or roll out when it's not designed, run away from someone and contort his body. And he can't throw off that platform. You can see that his pure arm strength, is not impressive, but yet if he could step into a ball, he can rip it down the field. And with Kellen Mon, it sounds like you're describing the same sort of thing because at his pro day, Kellen Mon was really letting it fly. But when you watch him, I don't know if stiff, stiff is one way people have described it. The way I might describe it is it's not getting the most out of his natural arm strength. So I think that if him and Kirk Cousins were to wind up and throw the ball, he might throw it just as hard or harder but it's that same sort of thing where if everything isn't working in conjunction, then he's not getting that extra juice on the ball because I think of his, I think it's his throwing technique more than it is his physical ability.
1: Yeah. I was going to say that it's, it's very like mechanical, like he was taught at at, at some age, like here's how you throw the ball. And even now into his early twenties, it's like, he's thinking of hitting all these checkpoints in his release instead of just letting it be natural. And there are some quarterbacks. Like I think, to me, Aaron Rodgers has one of the just the most naturally strong arms. Like he never looks like he's exerting that much energy in in the rest of his body, and he can let it rip fifty five yards down the field or uh, twenty five yards down the seam with like the flick of his wrist. I think Mike Vick would also be up there too if you want to go with the throwback comparison. So yeah, I, I think Kellen Mond is in the same range, and and they're pretty close to what Kirk Cousins can do. that There are times where Kirk Cousins looks like he has a pretty strong arm, but those will be when the pocket is clean and he can almost take a little crow hop into the throw. That's how I kind of felt with Kellen Mott. I I liked him as a prospect, but it wasn't because of the strong arm. It was the decision-making, the accuracy from 0 to 19 yards down the field, all the experience he had, and that I think he has a little bit of athletic upside. He's not a crazy natural playmaker. It's kind of the same with his athleticism. He has the athleticism there, but it's a little mechanical. But I think if you're at all excited about the future of of Kellen Mond to potentially upgrading over Kirk Cousins, uh, I think he has a little bit more athletic juice than what Cousins brings, but the arm strength is pretty similar.
0: I compared him athletically to someone like Ryan Tannehill where – He's not going to, you know, Russell Wilson, dodge three tacklers, you know, start running all over the place and then throw a 50 yard bomb to somebody. It's more of if he decides he's going to run and he puts the horse blinders on and takes off, he can get 20 yards because he is fast enough to do that. But you yes. don't see Ryan Tannehill like Ryan Tannehill's, you know, comma playmaker. Like That's not who he is. So that's kind of the athletic ability that I think that Kellen Mond has, which it can be valuable because if he decides to take off, he's going to be good when he does that. But I, I just thought it was a, a great question about kind of that, you know, arm strength versus arm talent and how much he really has there.
1: Yeah. One last thing on this. Uh, and I think that Ryan Tannehill comparison in terms of his athleticism and his arm strength is actually almost spot on that Ryan Tannehill has a good arm, but I don't think anyone ever thinks it's one of the best in the league when he's running that play action bootleg based system in Tennessee and everything's perfect, he can let it rip, but the under pressure stuff, it looks pretty weak. It was the same in Miami early in his career. And the, in terms of athleticism, we all would always hear about the fact that Ryan Tannehill was a wide receiver in college. And that means he's a great athlete, but you're right. He's never going to have a 50 yard touchdown run or elude five defenders and like let it rip down the field. And I think it's, a similar parallel to Kellen Mond that he was a dual threat recruit at the quarterback spot. He wasn't a pro style, like they call it in rivals in 24 seven. He was someone that they believed could be like a, a legitimate runner at the college level. And he was that player early in his career. And I think it was the best for him that he learned how to win from the pocket later in his career that helped him get drafted in the third round.
0: And just one more note, too, uh, that the stat I really like about Kellen Mond is that he does not allow a lot of sacks. Uh, and I think that that would be a big difference between him and Kirk cousins. So even if there is some loss in other areas, if we ultimately see Kellen Mond, who knows if we will or not, but if there's some loss, that is a benefit. And keeping with the Ryan Tannehill comparison, Tannehill was only responsible for three of his own sacks, according to PFF last year, which was the second lowest in the league. So I think there maybe might be some parallels there. Now, let me give you the other question. Uh, Aaron writes, It appears now that certainly Ezra Cleveland is going to be a guard. However, all the experts that we have on the podcast, including offensive line experts like Brandon Thorne, who you know, um, they've all said that he should have been at least tried as a tackle. So uh, he says he knows he's sort of beating a dead horse that's been talked about a bit on the show, but he wants to understand why the Vikings saw Ezra Cleveland as a guard and not a tackle. And I'll just try to answer that first. I don't really know. Chris I, I I really don't and we've asked and we haven't really gotten an explanation. so your guess is as good as mine.
1: Yeah, it's very difficult. I we were talking about it before too that I he was a player at six six and 311 with almost 34 inch arms. in last year's draft class, one of the few offensive tackle prospects that I was like, this guy is 100% a tackle. He should not play guard at the next level. But I think at because of that size, at 6'6", 3'11", there is a little bit of room to add more weight and uh, to get a little bit stronger uh, and more powerful in his lower half. And probably uh, it obviously worked out for the Vikings, the fact that they pick him in the second round and then come back the next year and get Christian Derrissaw in the first round, who truly, like you said, looks like a franchise left tackle, like in the NFL, that maybe they just prioritize athleticism so much at all five offensive line positions where they said hey this guy even for the tackle spot is pretty athletic imagine how athletic he would be for the guard position if we bulk him up to 320, 325, 330 even his frame being six foot six could probably withstand that added weight without losing um, a lot of athletic juice twitch off the snap so but I think and again you could this is probably a better question for the former offensive lineman you talked to and the experts that we know it's not a piece of cake to go from tackle to guard and even if you're already in the NFL, especially too when you're going from a college offensive tackle inside to guard. but he did get all the reps there last year he definitely just needs to add more weight uh, and the one issue though more so than anything else is that at 66 he's pretty tall. And he's playing against six foot, six one, six two defensive tackles on a regular basis. He definitely needs to continue to get better at playing with good knee bend. And actually, that's one thing that I wrote in my scouting report. I just read it to myself uh last year, that he did a good job, I thought, at left tackle at, at Boise State to not play high and not get out leveraged uh by even a six three or a six four. Uh, edge rusher because he understood, Hey, I'm tall and they're going to try to get up and under me. So maybe they saw that. I'm just trying to kind of work my way into like what the thought process was here. Maybe they liked the fact that this wasn't a tall tackle who played high and his, his center of gravity was, was too high. Uh, and they figured, hey, with that natural ability or that awareness to get as low as possible, we see him as a guard that's going to have to deal with a lot squattier, more compact defensive tackles.
0: Right. You, like you said, with Christian Derrissaw, he's a guard now. Cleve- Ezra Cleveland is a guard. And so you're going to live and die with that decision to move him to guard. But it is a great observation by Aaron um to say Nobody who's come on the show has said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And usually when we have these different things, like whether it's the quarterback or anything else, uh, one guest will have this opinion. Another guest will have that opinion. But it's been universal where everyone said, no, no, I, I don't really understand it. And here's the concerning stat for me. Now, I thought Ezra Cleveland was really good in the run game last year there especially were times where he and Brian O'Neal would get out in some space. And it was, it was something to watch because these are two of the most athletic offensive linemen you're going to find. But if you go to pass blocking efficiency, so that would be number of pass blocking snaps versus pressures allowed with a little bit more weighted towards sacks as a pro football focused thing. Dead last in the league was Dakota Dozier in terms of pass blocking efficiency. Shocker, Right right behind him was Ezra Cleveland at number 47. Nice. So they were number 48 and 47. Um, and that's going to, that means there's a ways to go a long ways to go for Ezra Cleveland and pass protection. And you know, the Vikings play Aaron Donald this year. So like, it's not going to be easy at any point. Eddie Goldman's going to come back after opting out last year. Akeem Hicks is still here. Kenny Clark is still here. I mean, there's going to be lots of challenges still for the interior of the Vikings offensive line. So I think one of the biggest questions for this year, knowing that offensive lines are a weak link system is, Will Ezra Cleveland be a strength because he does have, I think, a high upside no matter where he plays? Or will he be a weakness because this continues? And I think, Chris, you could tell me from your experience, I think it's hard to know that after just watching a rookie year.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's what I was going to say. And the Vikings uh, have a prime example with Brian O'Neill. Obviously not a change of position, but I came on your radio show after the what the 2018 draft I picked Brian O'Neill. And I was like, "Hey, I like this prospect, but he needs to get a lot bigger and a lot stronger." And and he struggled right as a rookie. And then they got him in the in the strength and conditioning program. He's a, a lot bigger now. I I think on previous episodes you've mentioned that like Brian O'Neill just looks physically bigger. Like since you've been covering him, it looks like a, an NFL right tackle now. And maybe as a rookie, he still looked like a college blocker. That's probably part of it too with Ezra Cleveland, that the Vikings think, "Hey, we didn't switch." Brian O'Neal's position, but we bulked him up and we saw his play in those pressure or in those power situations against bull rushers uh, get a lot better by year two. I'm always almost not like grading on a curve, but with offensive line prospects, even the really good ones. And the one that's the outlier is Tristan Wirfs. They are all like, none of them are ready to handle NFL defensive lineman's power as rookies. None. It, Andrew Thomas wasn't. Even Makai Becton, who got a lot of fanfare, he was a great run blocker last year. He wasn't an amazing pass protector and he's 6'7", 365, whatever he was. It takes pretty much for every offensive lineman, regardless if, if there's a position change or not, a full year to get NFL strong, and then if you have to add weight to that as well, and I think Ezra Cleveland will at six foot six playing the guard position to play into the three twenties, not three ten, not three eleven, not three fifteen, uh, it it certainly takes some time. So I I wouldn't be surprised because I really liked his pass protection at Boise State at tackle. If he is better in that area, but you're absolutely right that playing some of those big powerful defensive tackles in the NFC North really makes that a steep learning curve. Uh, for any of these young players and I think Ezra Cleveland uh, is certainly the next in line to see if this Vikings kind of strength and conditioning program ultimately pays off
0: and you mentioned the rebuild of the offensive line and so at right tackle you have Brian O'Neill who's just a really good player and then you have question market right guard will Wyatt Davis jump right in question market center can Garrett Bradbury take another step Question mark at left guard is Ezra Cleveland going to adapt his pass protection against some very tough competition? Question at left tackle, how quickly can Christian Dariusaw become a very good player? And so, a lot to keep an eye on with the offensive line. I don't, I don't think we could just say fixed. Uh, on to the next thing. Like, uh, I, I think there's there's going to be some really interesting storylines going forward. So um, I wanted to ask you about reasonable expectations for a lot of the top draft picks. Are you a Parks and Rec fan? Have you ever watched Parks and Rec?
1: I have not. I'm in the in the minority that hasn't. I mm. that's like I'm a big Office guy, and we I think we started to get into Parks and Rec, but I don't know what happened. We thought it was kind of funny. I don't know why my wife and I didn't keep going with
0: that. But so just like the Office, the first season is pretty tough. Like you really have to fight your way through the first season, but once it gets after that then it's good. Well, there's a character, Jean-Ralphio, who is one of my favorite TV characters ever on Parks and Rec. And he always does a thing that people will recognize that I'm going to do before I ask you about every prospect. I mean, he doesn't say these words, but he says it like this. I I was going to say like, let's be reasonable. Like, (laughs) you know, if you watch Parks and Rec, you'd get it. And uh, people who do will understand it. Um, there's a gif you've maybe seen where he's like the worst. And so anyway, Yes,
1: I have I was going to say, I've definitely seen a lot of like clips. Like Ron, I, I know the character, Ron Swanson. I think that guy's hilarious. Um, But that one, I, I wasn't in particularly uh, didn't know that necessarily, but
0: okay. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. So let's start. Let's just, what? let's talk about Trevor Lawrence and let's be reasonable about Trevor Lawrence. And you could tell me, What is a reasonable expectation for him this season?
1: Are we talking stats? Are we talking Jaguars record? How would you judge it? How would you judge a a rookie quarterback's season? I think you have to go stats, not maybe the elementary stats, but like where his accuracy is. And I think a big thing, you mentioned it earlier with Kirk Cousins. I think judging a rookie quarterback's season to go a little off the beaten path and not just look at his elementary stats how frequent how often he takes sacks like what is his sack rate I think over the test of time we've seen that the really good quarterbacks don't get sacked very often regardless of how good or bad their offensive line is and I think Trevor Lawrence that will be one to watch with him because I don't think the Jaguars offensive line is very good and I think he uh did take a lot of hits at, at Clemson. He's certainly going to be pressured more with the Jaguars than he was during his college career. And the skill position group is is actually pretty good. So interesting to see um, what his sack rate is. If it's below 5 or 6%, which is like right around, I, I believe, like league average, uh, that would be good for him because a lot of rookies, even the ones that we're almost quote-unquote sure are going to be really, really good right away, take a lot of sacks in their rookie year and it's not usually strictly due to their offensive line. So if his sack rate is like below 5 or 6% and I don't know how I feel about that. I I could see it being a little bit higher because I think holding onto the football and being willing to stand in and take hits uh was one of the weak the two weaknesses that I saw on film with Trevor Lawrence. As far as projecting it to wins and losses, I still think the Jaguars are a year or two away. And you and I are both a little bit skeptical on Urban Meyer and his ego and Travis Etienne playing wide receiver. Um, That I think if that team gets to, playing 17 games now, six or seven wins, I think six or seven wins um, would be reasonable. And a sack rate right around league average, maybe a little bit higher. Uh, would be maybe not to the general population, but to me would be a very solid first season for Trevor Lawrence. But obviously the the expectations and the bar is set so high for him, but I I think we need to temper
0: a little bit of what we should expect him to come in and do right away. This is the thing too, about quarterback wins, which I, I always kind of stand up for a little bit, because if I told you the Jaguars went one in 16, How would you feel about Trevor Lawrence? You'd be like, oh my God, that must mean he was an atrocity, right? If I told you they won 10, you would think, well, Trevor Lawrence must have been good then. Like we, without looking at the most important thing and the most important thing connected to a quarterback, how are we supposed to evaluate it? Because if he doesn't have great stats, but they do well, they win some games. He he looks like he's got a lot of fight in his game to him, plays situational football. Like you're going to feel pretty good about him going forward. If they lose every game, that means he was atrocious, right? Or, or, or there's something wrong there if he had good stats and they lose every game. So I, I, I think you can kind of look at it and say, what's a reasonable bar for him. Six, seven, eight wins. Get that team back to feeling like kind of like Kyler Murray did feeling like they're competitive again, as opposed to, Oh, you're playing the Jaguars. That's an automatic W.
1: Yeah, man. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's kind of this uh, to me, like a tired narrative on Twitter, like wins aren't a quarterback stat, but I kind of think they, they are like, I, I truly believe that in most situations and maybe Vikings fans listening are like, Hey, like Kirk cousins, hasn't been great, but the Vikings have had some good teams. You're right about that. That if the Jaguars go two and 15 this year, most likely Trevor Lawrence did not play good football. And if they win, if they exceed my expectations and win nine, 10 or 11 games, then Trevor Lawrence was a big part of that. And the central point to that is, We all agree that quarterback is the most important position and it can change a team more than anything else. So then why would it not impact the team's wins and losses more than any other position? I definitely think it does in the end though. I mean, obviously if the Jaguars win six or seven games, that doesn't mean that Lawrence was, eh, he wasn't that good, but uh, yeah, definitely bringing up the fact that like wins and losses do kind of matter. And even me being in Buffalo, Uh, Josh Allen's rookie season and no one really expected him to come in and and start right away so the expectations were a little different or actually a lot different than Trevor Lawrence down the stretch when Josh Allen uh, took over as the starter the Bills finished the season six and ten but they went three and three and you could see that they went from like oh this is another really really bad Bills team to hey, they're actually pretty respectable. And even some of those losses, uh, they were right in there. And Josh, like you said, Josh Allen maybe didn't have a high completion percentage or whatever, was throwing some interceptions. But there were also those high-end plays. And I think that's why going into 2019, the Bills were like, hey, this is our guy. He They get him wide receivers. They take the next step. And then last year, he was an MVP candidate. So even it's a little bit that I believe that, that in a way, Wins are somewhat of a quarterback stat, but you're right. Just seeing a team that plays more respectable and is playing in close games and seeing some of those flashes down the stretch. I think that is vital for any quarterback. And we did not see it from Josh Rosen. There were zero flashes from him. And to me, I I think we've seen like one or two flashes from Sam Darnold, but everyone wants to still hang on to him as this next Ryan Tannehill. I don't know, but I, I think you need to see some type of flash and some element of this guy as a rookie is elevating our team or that quarterback's probably just never going to be good in the NFL.
0: Hey everyone, anybody who listens to the show knows that Sam and I may not be scratch golfers, but we love to have a great time playing golf. And that's why we have partnered with Birdie Golf in Woodbury. Birdie Golf is hands down the best indoor golf experience you will ever have. There are eight of the world's best golf simulators where you can sharpen your swing and luckily for us, never lose a ball. But it's not just for hardcore golfers. Birdie Golf is for everyone. Bring the family, play arcade-style games while dining on great food in an upscale and comfortable environment. They have private bays for social distancing, a luxury lounge for private events, outdoor patio, and scratch kitchen. You'll want to try the whiskey or beer float flights and the best boneless wings in the metro. Make golf a night out or the place to hold parties, events, fundraisers, even your fantasy football draft. Check out Birdie Golf at 494 in Valley Creek in Woodbury, just a short drive from anywhere in the Twin Cities metro and at birdiegolf.com, or you could call 651-998-2200 today. I'll see you there. Folks, if you are pumped up about how the Vikings did in the draft and now the schedule's out, it is a great time to get yourself a Skull Flag or Bud Grant shirt. And, of course, there's much, much more if you go to sodastick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, Check them all out, and if you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping on all your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. And if you're ready for the summer months, we're going to have hockey playoffs so you can get your Dollar Bill Krill shirts. And if you're a golfer, you have to see the Minnesota golf hats. They are classic. All of Soda Stick's apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. Follow them, SodaStick.com co on Twitter, go to sodastick.com for your original Minnesota sports inspired goods code purple insider for free shipping. Right. And, and I think, you know, there've been plenty of times where a rookie comes in, Troy Aikman was one of them. Jared Goff was like this to an atrocity of a situation where they were very much overwhelmed and they played, you know, poorly and lost a bunch of games. And that didn't mean they were going to be a bust. Even Peyton Manning did not have a great first year. It didn't mean he was going to be a bust. But uh, I think that what you start with is the record and that helps you answer a lot of questions though, especially in the, in the long term, in the short term, but even you could use it this way. Cause I think here's the focus as well. This bad quarterback won a lot of games one year, or this good quarterback didn't like the one year kind of thing, or some, some individual game where some quarterback plays horribly and gets a win. And they say, ah, well, he gets a win, you know, or even this is where I feel bad for my buddy, Sage Rosenfels. He came in at halftime and, at a 20 point comeback one time his career didn't get credit for the win because the starter got it so you know it could be a little wonky but it, it all sort of ties back into it though right like it Kirk Cousins is a great example because if your record for over five six years with different circumstances and different players it ends up being kind of the same each year then we're asking well what would it take to go farther. So Case Keenum is also a great example of this. What would it take for a team to have Case Keenum as their quarterback and go 13 and three? Well, we found out. The number one defense in the NFL, two elite wide receivers, a Pro Bowl tight end, a great running game, an offensive coordinator who was on fire, a good offensive lineman, a great defensive. Like, how do you get to 13 and three with Case Keenum? Well, you need all of those things to click in. You also need Aaron Rodgers to get hurt that year and not play either game against you. Mitch Trubisky was starting his career. like You need everything to fall into place. For Patrick Mahomes, last year, he can go on the road against about... I don't know, seven great teams and just beat them all because it doesn't matter. And he can have his offensive line get hurt and still get to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, so it, it tells you, I think, about over a over a span of years, maybe um, a lot of answers, or at least you can figure out like, well, what does someone need to lead your team where you want to go?
1: Yeah, I know this is a question just about Trevor Lawrence's rookie season, uh, but I think you saying that it's, quarterback wins short term you can see outlier stuff happen Rex Grossman can have a great season with the Bears one year and that's it but what I would always say too is that it definitely it it, uh, plays itself out over the long term like the top 10 quarterback wins in NFL history here they are Brett Favre John Elway Dan Marino Peyton Manning Tom Brady Fran Tarkenton Johnny Unitas Joe Montana Terry Bradshaw and Warren Moon so I mean you could say hey you could point at passer rating is a better indicator but for quarterback wins not being or wins not being a quarterback stat that's a pretty good top 10 so I think over the course of time you're you're starting your your uh, team isn't losing games so you remain the starter you have more opportunity to win games and again the most vital position on the field you will win games if you are a good quarterback so I think oh by year two by year three the Jaguars need to be perennial playoff contenders, but in year one, six, seven wins. And we see flashes, maybe a a comeback or two in the fourth quarter, or if they play, uh, you know, an elite veteran quarterback, he goes toe to toe with him, but they ultimately lose stuff like that, that we saw from a lot of these you know, Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson, I think was a prime example that like he, I remember in 2012 that he didn't look ready to start, even though he was just ultra experienced quarterback. He had some games like where he was like nine of 28, whatever, but you could just tell that he was a playmaker, that that he had it. And I don't want to come on and say he had it as an analyst. I hate when say, oh, he has that it factor, but I, I think people understand what that means. So to peg a specific statistic on like what will be a successful season for Trevor Lawrence is kind of difficult, but uh six or seven wins and the sack rate being a little bit lower than what we've seen from some of these other rookies would be a start.
0: Yeah. Just one last point on the QB wins thing is uh, the quintessential 500 quarterback to me is Jay Cutler because he was just good enough to be great at times, just crazy enough with the football to make enough mistakes to lose a bunch of games. And then with everything perfect, could get you in an M- NFC championship game, but not consistently. His career record 74 and 79. It's just perfect. Like over a long yeah. period of time, it just tells you. I think it does kind of give you an indication of what someone needs to win. But of course, as a rookie, you can't exactly figure that out uh, based on how Trevor Lawrence wins, but you'd like to see because the situation lends itself with a bad division and playmakers. It lends itself to actually winning some games. So kind of go show you can do it um mm-hmm. at least at some point. So I think that's being, that's being reasonable. Now, just staying with the quarterbacks here, let's be reasonable about Zach Wilson, who might be horrible this year. I, I think it's, I think with Zach Wilson, anything he does, I'd be like, Oh, okay. All right. Uh, If he wins some games, if he has some big games, I just think that the uphill battle from BYU to the NFL on a Jets team that is not loaded with playmakers might have a better defense with a good coach and Robert Sala, but I don't know, man. I think that this is a big, big jump for Zach Wilson and I have very low expectations for his year one.
1: I do too. And this is coming from someone that had Zach Wilson as my quarterback number two, but we talked about it so much before the draft that, Whichever quarterback lands with the 49ers is in a tremendous situation. I think on the polar end of that, whichever quarterback got drafted by the Jets, and we knew early on that it was going to be Zach Wilson, that's probably the most difficult, the most, the biggest uphill battle. And even in the AFC East, the Bills are a Super Bowl contender, the Patriots are a little better. They they added to their defense in free agency. We know the Dolphins have a good defense. So right in your division, those games are gonna be tough. And to your point, to to go from uh some of the competition that BYU was playing to the NFL and the fact too, that Zach Wilson was, I mean, we didn't really hear too much about it, but was a legitimate one year wonder. Like he kind of came out of nowhere and, but I watched a few of his 2019 games and you would have thought this guy might get drafted, like maybe fifth, sixth round. He's worth it. He's got a little uh, playmaking skill to him. So we really saw like, over whatever it was, 8 to 10 games, that he looked like this, you know, surefire, highest-graded player in in, or quarterback in PFF College's history. Uh, So I think to not be that established, to not have two or three years of high-level production against quality competition, and then the Jets offensive line, even with Elijah Vera Tucker and Mekhi Becton, is not very good. And he could be the one that I could see him being overwhelmed by the speed of corners the complexity of blitzes and just the fact that he will be under pressure way more frequently than he was at BYU. He was the least pressured in terms of rate of any of the five quarterbacks who went in the first round, even less than Mac Jones behind that Alabama offensive line. So yeah, I think for, for the jets, they're probably like, Hey, we moved on from Sam Darnold. We got this young, exciting quarterback. He can make all these plays outside the pocket. He fits the trend. If they win a couple of games or he really might be the, Hey, Throw out the quarterback wins, just see if he makes enough plays and flashes in the second half of some games and maybe can beat some of the lower level competition and keep them competitive against the better teams, even if they ultimately lose. I don't think we really have to look at this as, hey, Zach Wilson needs to win six or seven or eight games because I don't think the Jets are really in terms of their roster are there yet and they have a first year head coach and we've seen first year head coaches come in and and be good but also I think there is some uh learning experiences for Robert Sala to have with game management and when to go for it on fourth down we don't know anything about that with him at this point so uh yeah I think you're right that with with Trevor Lawrence you could peg it and say six seven wins uh because he was so experienced and hey keep the sack rate down with Zach Wilson it's almost like just weather the storm and don't look like Josh Rosen, who never flashed and never elevated a lesser roster.
0: Okay, so we're on the same page there, so let me move forward. I have two more for you. Let's be reasonable about Trey Lance and Mac Jones and how much they're going to play. What is reasonable for how many starts that Trey Lance and Mac Jones end up making this year?
1: Man, this one is tough because the 49ers, that whole fiasco with the trade up and they were going to pick Mac Jones and picking Trey Lance. uh, It makes it difficult to peg like how they really feel about Jimmy Garoppolo. Like it it seemed like it was coming to a head before the draft. Like, Hey, they're going to draft Trey Lance or Mac Jones and then like trade Jimmy Garoppolo the next day. But then when they actually pick Trey Lance, it's like, Oh, he's the quarterback that definitely needs the most time. Then you think, well, he is in this very quarterback friendly system that could make CJ Bethard for two or three game stretch look like a competent quarterback. So maybe he doesn't actually need a full Patrick Mahomes red shirt type of season, but I think the 49ers will be pretty good. I, I mean, unless they get hit with the injury bug, like they did last year. So for Trey Lance, maybe four to six games would be reasonable that if, if we see Jimmy Garoppolo go down again, we know he's gotten injured a lot, a little bit smaller frame quarterback not he's actually not great at uh avoiding sacks uh and so he takes a lot of hits despite being this pocket passer that gets it out quickly having that reputation but i wouldn't be surprised like if you would have asked me this a month ago i would have said oh he's going to sit the whole season i think they will ultimately see him uh and at some point because the 49ers under john lynch and kyle shanahan Made the Super Bowl and the other three years they were under 500. They had a losing records. So I don't think they're on the hot seat, but I think Kyle Shanahan's just sick of losing games. So he's like, hey, I drafted this guy. He's got all the talent in the world. He's the opposite of Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, so somewhere four to six range. And in terms of Mac Jones, I think he's going to play a lot more. I think Cam Newton will probably be the week one starter. I don't have a lot of faith in Cam Newton as a viable starting quarterback at this point. And uh, although the Patriots spent a lot in free agency, like it, is there a wide receiver group that great with Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, like not really. And I think we've seen that when cam Newton has everything great around him. And when he was in the prime of his athletic career, uh, he can win an MVP and they can go to the super bowl, but he, that's not him anymore. And you take away the running element with him to a certain degree. He, at this point into his thirties is just, I don't think a high level quarterback, but I think Mac Jones eight to 10 games, if not more, I think the Patriots will be ready to say, Hey, we picked this quarterback. Uh, yeah, we picked him at 15. We didn't trade up for him. Could maybe indicate that they weren't in love with him as a prospect, but I kind of think they're ready to turn the page. I was surprised that they actually re-signed Cam Newton. So Trey Lance four to six games, Mac
0: Jones, a little bit more, eight to 10. There's just this part of me that looks at Randall Cunningham and says, Cam, Cam, Like, you know, right. Like it just, if everything sort of went right and they stacked up their team, the way he was playing at the beginning of the year before he got COVID last year was pretty good. So I I don't know. I mean, it's really going to be up to cam and, and Jimmy Garoppolo. And if those two guys could stay healthy and win a lot of games, then they're going to keep their jobs and they're going to hold off the rookie quarterbacks. But I think that the trigger is going to be pulled very quickly by both of those franchises, especially San Francisco. When you trade that much to get a guy, you're going to play him. I mean, everyone's going to want to see him. And the other thing too, that is hard to factor in is owners go to the games and they sit up in their big boxes. And if Jimmy Garoppolo throws a pick, he takes a bad sack. They lose a bad game. What are you going to hear from the crowd in Santa Clara? You're going to hear, you know, let's put in the other guy. Let's get Trey Lance in the game. Right. And the same thing goes maybe a little lesser extent from new England, but especially in San Francisco that, uh, that there's going to be calls for as soon as grapple struggles. And he will, he will have his up and down games. And so if they're not great right off of the gate next year, I think you, then the owner makes the phone call to the GM and says, okay, come on, man, I'm sick of these booze. It's time to play Trey Lance.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. I want to amend my answer. I, I think at least half the season for Trey Lance that it's we, at this point in the off season and right after the draft, maybe me being a draft analyst and, and thinking of this uh, in terms of in theory, Trey Lance should have a Patrick Mahomes red shirt. Patrick Mahomes had a red shirt because the chiefs were good and they had Alex Smith there and they still went to the playoffs that year. Like there was no real push to get him on the field. I think you're right that trading up, to get him as much as they did and the the immense talent that he has. And that owner has faith in Kyle Shanahan to create a, a environment conducive to success for even a pretty raw quarterback. So I would say both of those quarterbacks changing my answer, at least half the season, it's just we're in an instant gratification society teams, their GMs, the fans, they don't want to see a quarterback sit uh, that was picked in the first round, unless the team is really, really good. And I think there are definitely question marks, about how good the Patriots will be. They're kind of both, even the 49ers in the middle of this could, like they could go seven and 10 and no one would be like surprised at that. So I I don't think they're both definite contenders in their conferences. And because we are likely to see some of those hiccups along the road in late September, early October, that's when we could ultimately see uh, Mac Jones and Trey Lance on the football field.
0: Hey everyone, I wanna tell you about our friends It's Scout Logistics. And I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics. And since they reached out wanting to support this show, I wanna tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor trailer loads. And if you're wondering what that means exactly, well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America And we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out scoutlogistics.com or call 855-217-2688 extension 232 to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. Okay, last one of let's be reasonable. Um, and I will definitely bring this back unless I get angry emails. You um, so <laughs> all the weapons, all the guys running backs, wide receivers, tight ends who were drafted in the first round. Who is it reasonable to expect they are great right away? We know with rookies that anybody can be a bust, no matter how high your pick Trent Richardson was horrible and was picked fourth overall and the vikings benefited from that uh but uh is it reasonable to look at all these weapons of which the first round was just stocked full of and say you know what it is reasonable to expect this guy and this guy and this guy to be great right away so are you asking for one specific player or just one or two any? like or is there any? Is it unreasonable to ask anyone to be great right away? Because I have a couple of thoughts or a couple of answers potentially, but I wanted to know well, if you think it's ever reasonable to think okay, this guy should come over and take over the league. Well this being
1: a uh let's be reasonable segment I I kind of see where you're leaning and I I don't know if there's like any that I'm expecting to just take over the league right away. And a lot of it is because of the situations that a lot of these teams landed on. Like I I think Kyle Pitts being the first skill position player off the board at number four overall to the Falcons would p- probably be my answer because there's an established quarterback and Julio's a little bit older. Kelvin Ridley is a good number two. I think they want to throw the football a ton. They didn't draft a running back. Their backfield is Mike Davis and Quadri Olison. So it's not like they're putting a big onus on the run game. But like with Jamar Chase, I really, really liked him. But there's T. Higgins there. There is uh, Tyler Boyd there. I'm not sure about the offensive line yet in Cincinnati, although Joe Burrow was averaging 40 attempts per game before he got injured uh, in his rookie season. And then with Jalen Waddell, my number one receiver, I like at some point during the pre-draft process forgot that the Dolphins signed Will Fuller. So they have Will Fuller, Devonte Parker, Jakeem Grant, Mike Kosicki. I think Jalen Waddell is the closest prospect we've seen to Tyree Kill, but Tyree Kill didn't come in and have a 1500 yard season as a rookie. He was kind of this gadget type that flashed and ultimately became that. Uh, And then the two running backs, Najee Harris, I loved him. I don't know if the, Steelers offensive line is there yet. I like their two picks on day two, Kendrick Green and Dan Moore. Uh, But they're, I mean, anytime you're throwing rookies in there at starting positions, you can't have crazy high expectations for the offensive line. Um, And then Travis CTN, it's nice to have Trevor Lawrence there, but there's DJ Chark. There's LaVisca Chenault uh and a rookie quarterback a not very good offensive line there's James Robinson a thousand yard running back in front of you on the depth chart so I think all these players that were super hyped at the tight end and running back and receiver spot will have good seasons there's not anyone even Devontae Smith uh I think they'll have good seasons I really do um I don't think we'll see anyone that's like absolutely terrible like wow like Devontae Smith can't even run around he can't catch a pass but in terms of like taking over the league which I think truly Justin Jefferson did. I don't know if I necessarily see that with any of these first round uh, offensive skill position players.
0: So the, the two that I was going to pick were Jalen Waddle, because even though they signed Will Fuller, he's hurt all the time. And also I don't see Tua like throwing bombs all the time. So they're going to find ways to get the ball quick into his hands. He's amazing with the ball in his hands. So I was going to say Waddle should be sort of expected to be really great because of opportunity and Harris, I think also They want to run the football. The Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. Steelers did not run the ball at all. So I think they're going to be expecting a lot of him. Part of it is just opportunity. And that was going to be my last question for you is, I'm going to give you a couple of the odds and you tell me who you would bet. This is, uh, I got these from Vegas Insider for Offensive Rookie of the Year for this year. The top bet three to one is Trevor Lawrence. Justin Fields is six to one, Trey Lance six to one, Zach Wilson seven to one. But I think that I'm gonna give you a couple of best bets and you think that, uh, tell me if you think it's nuts. So Jalen Waddell is only 16 to one, which I think is good. How about this one? Rashad Bateman is 40 to one. They don't have any other receivers there. I mean, Hollywood Brown never stays healthy and he's very limited. They throw to their tight ends all the time. They will pass the football. The other one too, that might be really interesting is Kadarius Toney from the Giants. He's 33 to one. Rondell Morris, 50 to one. Any of those those stick out to you? I think think Bateman's a good bet.
1: Rashad Bateman at 40 to one, you said, that's the best value. If you want to bet on offensive rookie of the year, because too, it's all about expectations. Like I do think we fall into it where kind of like last year where uh, there, I mean, I guess with offensive rookie of the year, there was a pretty good battle between Justin Herbert and Justin Jefferson, but on the defensive side, like, Chase Young was good. He didn't have like a a Nick or Joey Bosa type rookie season or a Miles Garrett rookie season that you can fall into. Okay, this was the most hyped uh, uh, offensive skill position player or defensive prospect. No one's really that great. Let's just give it to him. But I also think that um, when there is a situation like the one Rashad Bateman is in, where the expectations are so low for the Baltimore Ravens passing offense. And if they, if he is integral in making Lamar Jackson take that next step as a passer and the Ravens kind of rebound from that 2019 season where they were the one seed Lamar wins the MVP. If he looks more like that player and it's like, Hey, he's constantly looking toward this first round pick at wide receiver Yes, Rashad Bateman will definitely get Offensive Rookie of the Year consideration. And he was the one kind of like boring first-round prospect for me at the wide receiver spot that there was no amazing characteristic, but I did not see a legitimate flaw with his game, that he won from the inside, he won from the outside, great releases off press, good after the catch, good in contested catch situations, runs good routes, and he was productive for back-to-back seasons when he was younger at the college level. So I think of all of those, the fact that he's actually behind Kadarius Tony is surprising to me because there's a lot more weapons there in New York with the Giants than there is uh, in Baltimore with the Ravens. And at some point, I think Greg Roman and John Harbaugh need to realize, hey, we can run the football. We can be the best running team in the NFL. But as an organization that has one of the most robust uh, analytics departments, they have to be banging on the coach's door saying, throw the football more, throw the football more. And that was probably part of why they drafted Rashad Bateman in round one. So yeah, Rashad Bateman at 40 to one, that's the one that you definitely want to throw some money on.
0: Chris Passo, you have been unbelievably helpful to the purple insider show and uh, website throughout this draft season. I have learned an incredible amount about this draft class and just covering the draft in general from you. This will not be our last time getting together, not by any means, but this is sort of the end of our section of the Chris Trapasso draft show, which I guarantee you will return. So people should listen to your podcast, which is the prospect podcast. And I show up from time to time and we'll continue to do that as well. So thank you. Thank you, sir. This has been incredibly fun. We had a great draft season from all the hype leading up to it, to the instant analysis after. And by the way, uh, your instant breakdown right after the draft was the second highest listened to episode ever on this show. So just thought you'd like to know
1: that makes me feel very good, Matt. Thanks for having me on this. And thanks for creating the Chris Trapasso draft show. And what's great is I get so much, uh, like so many requests pre-draft to talk about mock drafts and players. And then after the draft, like a lot of radio stations and, uh, like team websites and stuff like. Yeah, maybe like that the first two days after like, hey, will you come on and talk about the draft? I'm like, we I just watched 350 players and we just had a marathon, uh, 259 picks. We could build this out for the next couple of weeks and months. So the fact that you gave me the opportunity for shows post draft has been a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. And we will circle back, I'm sure, as the summer goes along and we prepare and uh, rookies will have a lot to do with this season for the Vikings. So I'll need you, buddy. Thanks again, man. And uh, we'll talk soon.